Travel back in time to the 80s, reliving the music. You can't have the Pretender's first album. That's mine. I bought it. You did not. The catchphrases. Did you have a brain tumor for breakfast? And the wannabes. Sometimes I see you dance around the house in my underwear. Doesn't make me Madonna. Never will. Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Can you say stuck in the 80s? Ah, summer road trip with my podcast pals. What a way to relax. Nothing but the open road. Um, guys, doesn't this feel a little familiar? Like what? Like, Stuck in the 80s has done a road trip skit before. No. Ah, look, you know, sometimes I run short on ideas, but I promise I won't take off my shirt if you just get that road map out of my face. That's it. I knew it did this exact skit before the songs and movies of summer episode 128 which is a classic by the way oh yeah that's right dude what's up with the rerun it's not a rerun i got new stories i swear now just let me have control of the radio for a few seconds here oh no 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 frankie goes to hollywood i can't take it don't touch it Come on, that's the exact song that they played during the skit in episode 128. Here, let me set this thing up. Ah, leave it to Brad to pull out his Wang Chung. Woohoo! Whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, Wait a minute, shouldn't the actual show have started by now? Yeah, yeah, just waiting for the chorus. Ah, here we go. We were so in place And I danced all days We were cool on Christ Hey, hey, welcome to Stuck in the 80s. It's your host, Steve Spears. In this episode, we go back 30 years to bring you three great albums from the year 1984. With me as always, he's the Peter Rutherford to my Holly Johnson. It's Brad in L.A. Dude. You <laughs> can't do it, man. Only I know. T- nope. And joining us today again because he's the only co-host taller than Rick Ocasek, it's just Drew. Like, dude. See? See? That's wow. why you get the dude line and Brad <laughs> you, does it. You are a golden god. Every wow. time uh, every time we do a skit, Brad gets has to have the uh, the lines where they're, wait a minute. <laughs> kind of line. Something's wrong here. <laughs> I'm the yep. voice of reason. Yeah, well, hey, we hey, all have our cross to bear. Drew, Drew, are you actually taller than Rick Ocasek? Rick Ocasek is six four. Yeah, I'm six six. Wow, there you go. I so, was right. Yep. I write it on the pa- on the paper, and, and it actually it's happens. True. It's Whoa. magical. Such power. So, uh, if you if you're new to this format of the show, um, every year we we try to tackle. Um, some of the great albums of the year. Uh, we we did 1983 last year on their 30th anniversary, so this time it's 1984. I don't think we've done any this year, have we? No, this is the first one this year. It's yeah. halfway through the year, and we're just now getting into it. Well, it's because we we've, so we've had so much other stuff. We did a, a month and a half worth of Soundtrack Madness, which was uh, awesome. Yeah. yeah. And, you you know, did the Fletch podcast. Oh, oh wait. wait. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're saving nice. that one. Nice. We're not saying these are the three best albums of 1984. Uh, we're going to leave out some albums that we've already kind of covered uh, 
individually. Like we're we're not going to talk about Thriller because Thriller was you know it got its own show, nineteen eighty two stuff actually. like that. Purple Rain, you yeah, know, I was gonna say Purple Rain. It's not going to get its own. Uh, Born in the pop. USA probably won't. Yeah, we're not going to. So these are just here. three albums that we kind of feel personally attached to. And um, nineteen eighty four, I'm going to argue, is a big year in music. I would call it the apex of the eighties. Um. Anyone disagree? Yes, uh, yeah, I'm disagreeing with yeah, you. Yeah, why? I've, I'm afraid so. I have to be to be consistent. I have to say that next summer, uh, next summer, next summer, thirty years ago, that 1985 is the peak. I would say that's the cultural peak. Okay. My but, problem with 1984 is that I found that in doing my research, the albums to me weren't as as epic as like certain songs were. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Okay. I'll buy that. Here's some interesting factoids about 1984 in general. Lay some truth on us. Here we go. <laughs> in 1984, just five albums had the distinction of being number one on the charts. Just five the entire year. Well, and I think we've already named two of them. Which ones did you name? Well, we named Born in the USA and, and Purple, Purple Rain. Rain. Yeah, Born in the USA from uh, July 7th to July 28th. Really? Uh, just Yep. Wow. Uh, Purple Rain... From August 4th all the way to December 29th. Yeah, I wow. had a yeah. long run. Uh, you mentioned Thriller, which is not a not a 1984 album, but it was still charting. January so 7th. Oh, my gosh. To, January 7th to April 14th. Holy cow. Wow. So that leaves two more albums. Can, can anyone name them? I'll give you a hint. One of them is the soundtrack. Well, I'm going to guess that Van Halen is one of them. Nope. Really? Mm. One uh, of them is a soundtrack? Purple Rain is a soundtrack. There's another yeah. one? Nope, it's a different one. Um, Early in the year. Want some hints? Yeah. There's a Kenny Loggins song on it. <laughs> Footloose? Footloose. From April 21st to June 23rd. Huh, okay. Wow. And this last band, uh, I don't know what, how to give you a hint, figures into one of the infamous Stuck in the 80s interviews. Tom Wopat? Yes. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's not Huey Lewis. It's Huey Lewis in the news. Oh. But what did they have out in 84? Sports. Was it, uh, no. Sports was 83. Well, it oh, it was 83, still, but it still was still on the charts charting. in 84. Still charted in 84. Okay. 84 so. Yeah, because we talked about that last. Yeah. I didn't year. say they're 1984 albums. I just said they, did, uh, they charted that year. So. Noted. Noted. Thank you for noted, the clarification. So. Uh, among some of the other uh, milestones of 1984, uh, Michael Jackson's scalp. Is burned. Oh, the, the Pepsi, Pepsi commercial. Yeah. Sting on March 1st would play his last concert uh, with the police at the end of the Synchronicity mm-hmm. Tour until they reunited. Yeah. Uh, oh. April 1st, uh, Marvin Gaye shot and killed during an argument oh, with his dad. Oh, man. Horrible. Yeah. August 10th, the Red Hot Chili Peppers released, they released their debut album. Wow. Believe it or not. That's early. That's a lot earlier than I would have. Yeah. yeah. It's funny. I actually was looking at the, um, some 80s stuff today that I had on my iTunes library, and I saw the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and my thought was, they weren't in the 80s. That's miscategorized. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. They used to tour. Uh, they used to come through Gainesville when I was at the University of Florida, and almost every single time they came through, they would play like the student union. Yeah. Um, the, the, huh. the show would get shut down halfway through cause they'd whip off their pants. So, <laughs> I mean, no, no joke. They, that's exactly what happened every single time. September 14th, 1984, the first annual MTV video music awards are held in New York city. Wow. Yeah. Care, care to guess, uh, who took home the most prizes? You won't. And the first one. Uh, uh, well, I know that 
I know because we're going to talk about it. The Cars took home video of the year. Yes, they did. Yeah. Um, the one with the most Herbie Hancock. Oh, that's right. Really? I didn't know that. For yeah, Rocket? yeah, yeah. And of course, that's the same one where Madonna rolls around the stage uh, in a wedding dress for wedding like dress. a virgin. Yeah. Yep. September 21st, 1984, the very first compact disc plant opens up in North America. Amazing. Yeah. October 23rd, um, a report on BBC television about the Ethiopian famine gets the attention of one Bob Geldof. Oh, that sounds uh, familiar. Yeah. Later yeah. later in November, he and Midjura would co-write Do They Know It's Christmas Time with Band-Aid. The ironic song, Do They Know It's Christmas. Yeah. Uh, yeah. December. I'm on, I'm on record with my feelings about that song. I know. I always thought the same thing. <laughs> if all, if all, I don't want to jinx it, but if all goes according to plan, I should be interviewing uh, Midjura uh, in the coming week or so. Don't mention my scorn. <laughs> in December of 1904, Tipper Gore forms the Parents Music oh, Resource gosh. Center. Mm-hmm. And uh, tragically, to end the year, you want to end the year on a down note, December 31st, De- Def Leppard drummer Rick Allen loses his left arm in a car wreck. Wow. Happy New Year. Yeah. <laughs> Downer Debbie. So we each have one album to present this week. Uh, Brad, who will you present in the year in review? I am going to present, and this is one I was I thought about trying to squeeze in last year on a technicality, but uh, even I felt a little guilty about that. I'm going to discuss Wang Chung's Points on a Curve. I love this song. I love this uh, album. Yeah, it's a great album. So the reason that I said maybe I was going to bring it on a technicality, it was recorded in 1983 at Abbey Road Studios and released in the UK in 1983, but it wasn't released uh, in the United States until 1984. And although we have a global audience, I recognize that, we are tend to be focused on the U.S. states here. So This album was co-produced by Chris Hughes and Ross Cullum. And Chris was the former drummer for anyone? Anyone? No idea. Uh, you drummers? He was a drummer for Adam and the Ants. Oh, nice. And he drummed on and produced Kings of the Wild Frontier and Prince Charming. Wow. But he's probably better known for producing 1985 songs from the big chair by Tears for Fears. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So he and Ross Cullum has partnered on a lot of things. that album they worked some with Rick Ocasek on uh, one of his solo albums The Side of Paradise but they did a ton of work together um, so I thought that was kind of interesting yeah it was released as I said it was released in January of 84 in the United States the highest it got on the charts was number 30 in July of 84 oh, I, I know I had this album back then yeah. it was oh yeah I mean everybody I know had this album and, it, I, and I would say there's not a bad song on it yeah, it's they had four singles. Yeah, I, I will say I will say I listened to it again today, and it kind of you know it's got a lot of 
it's got a lot of energy in different tracks, and then you've got some up up tempo and some down stuff, and the it closes out with a couple kind of quiet, sad sack songs, and I just I wish they had a little more energy at the end of the album. But. Well, I wish I had a little bit more energy at the end of this podcast well, after what you, you said know. about Wang Chung. Oh <laughs> well, you know they they make according to TV advertisements I see they make some uh, pharmaceuticals that could help you with that, Spears. <laughs> I don't know what that's about. Good old coffee. That's all you need. Oh, man. coffee. All yeah. you need. So uh, four singles off of this, Dance All Days, which we've already already uh, listened to a little bit of. That's the only Wang Chung single to make the top 75 in the UK. What? Topped off this album? Off this album? No, really? no ever. They were not. They were not that popular in England. You know, when I, when I talked to Jack Hughes, the lead singer – before he, they toured the U.S. on the Regeneration tour, right back in like uh-huh. two thousand nine, yeah, some years ago. I, I remember he, they were they're one of several bands from the U.K. that are better known here than they are at home. Yeah, another one being probably Asia. Um, and there's a couple others, but um, wow! So everybody Wang Chung tonight was not didn't infect British radio. Did you mean everybody have fun tonight? Either the same. One of the same. <laughs> yeah, I would say that that is their, you know, if, if you say Wang Chung to, you know, Most someone people. in the street, if they don't punch you, they're going to start humming everybody have fun tonight. Yeah. Um, before that, though, I mean, Dance Hall Days was a song that put Wang Chung the on the market. Song. I do, too. Yeah. So Dance Hall Days peaked at 16 on the Hot 100, but it was number one on the... Dance charts. Of course. <laughs> yeah, baby. Back when I used to like to still dance. Yeah. So it's maybe not the most iconic song. I'd say, again, that Everybody Have Fun is probably going to pop to the top for most people. But it's in a lot of stuff. It's in Bachelor Party. It's in To Live and Die in L.A. No surprise there. It's in Pretty in Pink. It's in The Sure Thing. And more recently, it was uh, on the Adventureland soundtrack. Oh, yeah. And we oh, saw yeah. we saw Wang Chung, the three of us together, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And they were great for the two songs that they got three, to play. Three songs. Three do you songs, remember the three yeah. songs? I do not. One well, was the song from the Breakfast Club soundtrack. Okay. Fire yeah. in the Twilight. And then, and then they played Dance Hall Days. And then they played uh, Everybody Have Everybody Fun Tonight. Had, yeah. They did not play Hypnotize Me, which you and I, I was, would have liked. I was thrown because, you know, half the time at that concert, you couldn't even hear the lead singer. I mean, no. It was, really, it was bad. Yeah, that was, was brutal. It was pretty muddy. If you, Brad, if you could add one song from Points in the Curve to that concert, which one would it have been? I would have wanted to hear Wade. I like that song. Wait, I listened to it, and I—it's a good song, but there's—it it seems a bit too '80s-ish. If what? that's something what? I can say, it's go on the show. Go, Friedman. Please go it's got now. Some, like, stings and hits and all this stuff, and you're just kind of like—it seems—it seems so stereotypical of an 80s song. I mean, it, it's... Do you want to know why it's stereotypical? I because know it why. got there first. I know why. But I'm just saying, I mean, that, that for me, it, it hasn't held up as well. But what surprised me was uh, Don't Be My don't be my Enemy. Yeah. 
that's probably my new favorite song on this album. That's that a great song. Before. It's a great song. Yeah, and so. that's that was the third single, and it really didn't. The second single was Don't Let Go. Third single yeah. was Don't Be My Enemy. Neither one of those did a lot on the charts. And Wait didn't chart at all. Um, but the reason that's kind of notable is that's the song that William Friedkin heard and said, hey, guys, we'd love you to work on this soundtrack for this movie I'm making to live and die in L.A. Oh, yeah. So, and there's okay. a bunch of stuff about that. Steve and I were talking about this. There's a there's an interview. If you go back and check out episode 168, there's an interview with Jack Hughes, and he talks a little bit about that. And he talks about writing Fire in the Twilight for Breakfast Club. And yeah, it's a good interview. It's worth checking out. I always thought to me, my favorite song off this album is on side two, and it's called Don't Let Go. like that song a lot that's a, that's a great track yeah i like it too it, it seems sometimes a bit monotone but i still like the song a lot but then when it kind of the second side kind of lands with devoted friends and talk it out and it's like oh man i just uh, yeah but by the tempo number here come on guys <laughs> i whatever magic i wanted out of this out of the album i've gotten by that point yeah you know? mm-hmm. we're eight we're eight tracks in i'm fine you're good yeah so uh, whatever. that's true i mean in, in back in the day if you had an album that had three songs on it that you liked you're like oh i'm doing all right here do you think this is the best wang chung album it's the only one i can remember well Um, you've got mosaic and then uh warm the warmer side of cool i think it's it's their best album but there's there's good pieces of music on those other ones oh yeah i mean i I, the song praying to a new god that's a great song yeah but i when i looked at the track list for warmer side of cool and nothing else really popped out at me and i already mentioned hypnotize me from mosaic and there's some good stuff there but i think this is their best package I would like uh, to see. Uh, I'd like to. Uh, oh yeah, man, Wang Chung's there. best package. Wow. Wang Chung. We all, you know we all remember you, right what Wang Chung means. Yeah, it uh, means Wang Chung. It's the sound that a guitar makes when it's strummed. Go ahead, and make the sound, Steve. Wang Chung. <laughs> Learn something new every day. I did not know that. You gotta go back and listen to episode one sixty eight. Actually, in uh, that interview, Steve, you're you're very clever because you say to him, "I'm not going to ask you the question about how you got your band name." But then you asked another kind of question that's kind of on the same angle. It's a good. I basically said this. Um, I want, and I want to put your mind at ease right now. I swear to God, I am not going to ask you today about the meaning of your band's name. Good, good. Because you've answered that a million times. But but I do kind of want to ask this. I mean, you, I mean, you've been asked that question for like thirty years now. And yeah. has there ever been a time where you said, you know, maybe I should have picked a different name? sounding name uh, just leads everybody onto that question but on the other hand uh, I think in the States for whatever reason it's kind of uh, got a certain catchy resonance thing and um, you know obviously it's been used in all kinds of uh, uh, sort of great situations and I'm thinking of the episode of Cheers where Frazier comes 
screaming into the bar <laughs> talking about Wang Chung and uh, I think we've been mentioning the Simpsons and you know there's even greetings cards about Wang Chung and stuff so uh, I guess I'm looking forward to actually getting in the dictionary with the name that'll be cool <laughs> God knows what they're going to put as a definition but <laughs> <laughs> he was a good guy I, I would love I would pay good money I, I I'm going to say this I'm going to probably don't hold me to it but if I knew that <laughs> when, uh, it's with so many things that I say after a half glass of turkey, um, if Wang Chung was playing a full set somewhere, you know, somewhere like in the in the U.S. where I could go and I could be sure that, hey, I'm, every song I want to hear is being played, I would I would buy a plane ticket, and, you know, go to StubHub and get a good seat for that show. Yeah, they were. I mean, they were good on the Re- Regeneration tour a few years ago. They sounded fantastic. I do remember that. In that again, in that interview, he he's he kind of poo-poo's it when he says, "You're not going to do hypnotize me." He's like, "Oh, that's really high up there. I can't sing that high anymore." <laughs> yeah, but yeah, they I were don't great. Know if I see the whole thing. They were I pros. Mean, if he had done a couple more songs at the concert we saw, I probably yeah. would have been fine. But I don't know if I need to see you know twelve, fifteen songs by these guys. Ooh. Well, you've already you've already you know expressed your hatred for it because so. yeah. yeah. it's too because wow. it's, it's too eighties. It's too eighties for you. <laughs> Listen to I'm that sorry song that we picked Listen something that's too eighties for our eighties podcast. <laughs> Listen to it, and you okay. just kind of yeah, you just kind of hear it. it there is a lot. Of, there's a lot of synthesizer layering yeah. going a lot on of there, Speak, and that's it's and, interesting because there's not that much of that. Some of the other tracks are like straight ahead of rock and roll with a sax solo and guitar and stuff, but that yeah, track is just the drums. The the drum machine's a bit egregious. Too much Fairline song. Yeah. Okay, Drew. <laughs> Speaking of an album that's 280s, what album did you pick for today's show? Uh, I picked The Cars, and it's Heartbeat City. is a follow-up to their 1981 release shake it up and the band kind of split up a little bit they didn't split up but they had a couple of side projects they all did they kind did. of their own thing for a little yeah bit, they did yeah. their own little thing and then they came back and came out with heartbeat city and this was uh produced by mutt lang or is it lange lange we're going lang. i think Let's it's lang. lang call and, us um, call us mutt and let us know if we're saying your name wrong and this album to me was i know it it's very 80s but the the cars always had that extra magic in it, that extra feel to it that gave it so much more to me at least. And for me, what I would, what I always remember in the eighties, especially around this time from like 82 to 85, 86 was I was a huge fan of MTV. And so for me, watching the videos was as important as just hearing the music. I had to, I liked the visuals as well. You like to watch. Is that what you're saying? I like to watch. Exactly. Just like being, I still remember his, his character's name. Anyway, Chauncey Gardner. Uh, yes, I Damn. like to watch. Uh, <laughs> but this album came out with the the great video. You might think. You might think it's hysterical. Joe. 
Now that video, as we said, it won the uh, the video of the year in the first ever uh, first ever MTV Video Music Awards. The thing I loved about this video, and it was funny, but when I was doing the research for this, it dawned on me. I, I watched that video over and over. I recorded it, and then I watched it how they did these things, and it's of course cheesy now. The effects they did. Well, sure. But at the time, they were kind of big. They were a yeah. big deal. They spent eighty thousand dollars on that video, which was what? like three times more than any other video. Yeah, because of all the effects of having yeah. the guys on the soap and having it sure. lock onto the soap when it falls, or having Rick Ocasek, you know, pulls his face off and his the band head, comes his head switches. And yeah, that. that whole thing. But that fascinated me, and I truly think that watching that video is what led me into this career of working in films and working on and being an editor. Whoa. I think it was, yeah, it was fine looking back. And I remember sitting and just watching that, that video saying, how did they do that? How did they do this? How can they switch that? And I was fascinated. I watched the way they edited it. I watched the way that they did every little aspect of that, that, and the other one, which did a lot of little effects was the yes song, the one where they were all like just standing over a white background. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. I forget the name of the song, but yeah. Yeah. Those those two, I was just fascinated by the digital video effects that they did in that. And I truly think that those two led me on to the career that I have today. Huh. So that's wow. kind of why I really wanted to talk about this album. That's pretty cool. It was so important to me just in in my formation of what I was going to end up doing. Well, now I kind of feel and it's like a great album. It's oh, a yeah. It's a great, great album. album. Oh, it's a great album, but I totally feel like a D-bag now for teasing you about it earlier. <laughs> really? I feel no such shame. You shouldn't. You shouldn't. <laughs> um, but, of the course, they had, uh, as we already played, Hello Again was off this album. They had five singles. Um, Drive was the most successful oh, single. Yeah. Yeah. What a song. And it's funny. That's not even my favorite song on the album. Like I said, You Might Think is on here. Heartbeat City is the final song on the album. And I just I love that city, that song. Perfect driving um, song. I know. I know yeah. why. I know. I can pick out Steve's favorite song on this. What? It is the most sad sack track on the album called oh. "Why Can't I Have You." That is Spiracy's <laughs> favorite song. Why can't I? I don't know that one. He says after singing. Yeah. Well, you started to sing the uh, the Cure version. The cure. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> really? Oh, it's so. a great song. Great song. Drive was really successful not only because it's you know a beautiful song, but. Um, it was used in a video about Ethiopian famine prepared by the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, and it was introduced by David Bowie at the 1985 Live Aid concert in Wembley. So, uh, and the Cars actually performed at the Philadelphia. I was going to say, Aid I thought the concert. Cars played yeah. Philadelphia. Oh, okay. Yeah, but it was introduced by David Bowie. Oh, cool. And um, do you guys have any idea who directed that video? He was an actor. Uh, I don't know. I know that you know this is their most successful single, and it's not sung by Rick Ocasek. But I don't yep. know who did. Yeah, the I, could, I couldn't guess. Uh, Timothy Hutton. Whoa! Really? Directed, yep. Huh? He obscure. The video. Does he? Yeah. Does he do a lot of directing? I don't even know. He didn't, and, and um, but but he directed this one. Wow. So huh. cool. That's so off the wall. <clears throat> That's, yeah, it was really yeah. kind of a strange one, and it's a very moody video. I mean, it's it's Benjamin Orr sitting in like a a bar. And there's all this like weird like mannequins and I think that was the one with Paulina Poroskova was in yeah that yeah one? yeah she's Who arguing Rick with Rick yeah. is she yeah. in that as well as in uh, you might think that's not her and you might think that's not I think no. that's someone else oh she's definitely okay. in Drive and it's her she's like she's yeah. like fighting with Okasik and Okasik's just being like a cold hearted bastard to her mm-hmm. imagine it's that. great I, yeah. I love that the video I love that song. It's gonna make you 
And you guys, uh, Hello Again was uh, directed by another, this guy's famous, but he wasn't known necessarily for his videos as he was for his art. Want to take a guess? He's in the video. Oh, is oh, it? Uh, oh, um, it's Andy Warhol. Yeah. Andy Warhol. God, Very like, good. It's like it's sitting there on the tip of my tongue. You're like, yeah. tomato soup. It's the soup guy. <laughs> that's <laughs> the, that's how, I almost said that. It's the soup guy. <laughs> So drive hit no number soup three. No for you, Spearsy. Yeah. Magic hit number 12. You might think hit number seven. And Hello Again hit number 20. So they had four top 20 hits just on this album alone. Did you? I mean, was it just was amazing. There, I mean, what a juggernaut. Yeah. And there wasn't a single person that we knew that did not have this album. I mean, this was like standard issue. Yeah. You're, you're absolutely, absolutely right. You're and absolutely, nobody, absolutely. nobody had a negative thing to say about it. I don't, th- I don't know anybody who said, oh, that album sucks. I don't like the cars. They really screwed the pooch on this one. Everybody yeah, if they, left. If they this had was... any brains, they kept their mouth shut if they didn't like it. Yeah. I mean, it was. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. I, I think they, did they tour on this? There's, I had one chance to see him. Have you guys seen him in concert? I have, I have not. never seen him. No. And that's always been something that bothers me. I mean, yeah. especially now that Benjamin Orr is not with him. Yeah. Um, you, you know, make it I sound like, like he left the band. Uh, well, with us, how would you like to, if I said yeah. with us? But he, yeah. since he passed away, um, uh, it's a it's a real I don't, almost like a hole in my life that I didn't get to see them yeah. in their heyday. Well, do you remember MTV back in the day when they had the great contests and giveaways? You know, like you could win a pink house from John Mellencamp and stuff. You could yeah. win a yeah, you yeah, could yeah, win a that. concert from the Cars. Huh. And I think it was I think it was promoting this album like you and like a hundred of your best friends. Oh my gosh! Well, I bet it was. So it would be me and one person because I remember okay. seeing footage of it later, you know. And but I also remember people said, telling me people who did see them live back then said that they weren't that great of a live act. Like like no stage banter, no stage presence. They yeah, just kind of got yeah. up there. They played. I've heard that too. And what I've heard is that Rick Ocasek was a real stickler for how it sounded, and they worked really hard to replicate the studio sound in their concerts, but. There wasn't a lot of other energy in it. Yeah. Yeah. So Man, as much you as know, they, you beat yourself up over it, I mean, it doesn't sound like we missed that much. Yeah. So yeah. this was this was released in what? Spring this of 84? In, in March. March of 84. So March 13th. in late summer of 84, um, as we talked about in the last podcast, that was right before I moved to California. But I'll, I'll let me just trot out my nerd cred here. In late 84, late summer 84, I went on a tour with a youth orchestra I was in uh, to Scandinavia. So we went to, oh to Sweden God. and Norway and Denmark. And it was a great trip. It was so cool. But, um, I, you know, you can only carry so much stuff. And I had to figure out which what tapes am I going to take with me to listen to on this trip. And it was – I. I figured i had room for four cassettes and i one of them was one of them was uh don't judge me one of them was billy joel's innocent man one of them was new traditionalist (laughs) that's okay (laughs) and one of them was heartbeat city i can't remember what the fourth one was but i listened anytime i hear heartbeat city i think of that trip and it just 
they're just kind of entwined because it was one of the few things I had to listen to. Yeah, that, I, I, it's funny. I picture you over there, but I picture you with exactly the same aged face. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Brad looks young. I mean, Brad. Brad looks like he could be. Well, he could be forty-two. <laughs> <laughs> he could be in your thirties. You get your hair. You don't have any gray hair. You have. Yeah, I do. Hair. Yeah, See, I can't talk. I've got gray hair. I got plenty I've of gray, gray, gray hair. in my beard. It's it's bad. Yeah. Well, I'll post so. a picture of me on that trip somewhere on the on the Facebook page. But yeah, that was it. I just those this this album and that trip are just they're linked for me. Yeah. Well, did you guys hear uh, or did you guys get their last album, The Move Like This? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I liked it a lot. I thought it was, it was really good. Was I thought about going to see them because they did a small tour, you know, for it. But in the end, I was just like, ah, Benjamin Orr's not with them. I just, I don't know. I just didn't want to. Yeah, I, and I, you know, I thought it was it was okay. It was a good it was a good album, but it was not uh, Shake It Up. It was not Heartbeat City. Well, the funny thing to me was listening to it is one of the great things about the cars was all the backing vocals, the the cool, unique backing vocals with the rest of the band and the yeah. new album like didn't have any of it. Yeah. yeah. So I felt like that that was kind of missing that, that unique bit. car sound. Yeah. So did you either of you guys ever into uh, Rick or Kasich solo stuff? I, not I, so much. I got his first album, I, I think. I think I did too, but it's not like it stuck with me. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you like the the kind of the synth side of the cars, you might check out this side of Paradise, which I really like. Is it my turn yet? It can be, Spears. Sure. You're the <laughs> sure. man. I've been waiting. I I have dreamed since the beginning of Stuck in the Eighties that we would do a whole show on this next album, featuring an interview with the band and everything. This has been my long ten year long dream. Great White Buffalo. Instead, <laughs> instead we're gonna we're gonna condense it down to ten minutes this episode. I give you the epic saga that is Frankie goes to Hollywood's. Welcome to the pleasure dome. In Xanadu did Kubla Khan pleasure dome erect. Title track just cracks me up. I love this album. I love everything about oh, I'll, it. Oh, I'll, I'll turn it up anytime it's on the yeah. XM. I turn that up at the in whatever Kubla Kai built the pleasure dome. Come on, it's so over the top. Yes, but that's what we needed. Um, this was so big in my life. This came out October 29th, nineteen eighty four. Um, it was a double album. It was their debut album, but it was also a double album. It's a debut double album. Wow. Yeah. Who were yeah. they sleeping with at the label? Well, they they just had they just had the it factor to them, you know. They're five guys from Liverpool, you know, uh, kind of weird, you know, kind of kinky, kind of weird. Yeah, it upset weird. British radio. Um, the uh, their first single, "Relax," as most people probably know by now, was it's banned. about getting a good nap, right? Yeah, exactly. it's about yeah. taking a taking a snooze. It it was uh, banned by the BBC. <laughs> Well, yeah, it was number six. Basically, like now we will sell lots of records. Yeah, so mm-hmm. of course it became number one for the next five weeks. Um, there are two follow-up singles, Two Tribes" and "The Power of Love." They both go huge, so they become only the second act. Wait, I thought "The Power of Love" was uh, Huey Lewis. That's- 
No, it is too. But they only become the second act in the history of the UK charts to reach number one with their first three singles. Uh, the only wow. other act being uh, Jerry and the Pacemakers. So, wow. Very cool. Huh. I remember this album came out senior year in uh, high school. You know, even the, the, the liner notes were unbelievable. They were just total gibberish. Like, you know, it's always better to go with the gherkins in the, in the jungle. You know, it just all these sort of like <laughs> all these sort of like crazy offbeat, no nothing phrases. And we were just I was obsessed with them. I mean, I I went out. I did not buy a uh, Frankie Say Relax T-shirt, even though everybody had them. Everybody. Yeah. Everybody. I got the Two Tribes one. Or I, I think I also got one that said War on it. Um, good God. Good God. <laughs> my favorite song. <laughs> Um, what, what's kind of ironic though, this album gets a lot of criticism because it is a double album, but there's really not a doubles album's worth of original material on it. Uh, a lot of it uh, is cover stuff. There's some covers, yeah. And really long mi- remixes of songs that they'd already previously, previously released as singles. Well, Trevor, Welcome to the Pleasure Dome is like 10 minutes long. Yeah. yeah. It's, like it's a lot of things minutes. that a 10 minute song is good for, by the way, especially back in 1984. <laughs> Just what, saying. three times? Yeah. <laughs> Dude, you're a legend. <laughs> the uh, Trevor Horn, obviously the legendary producer behind it, he gets a lot of grief for this because this album has a lot of um, studio musicians taking the place of the band members when recording really? the actual music. Mm. And Trevor Horn himself sat down and played the instruments for a few of them. We should do a Trevor Horn show. Oh I, would, I was shocked oh when I read God. about this. He's done so much stuff. I didn't believe I couldn't believe that he was from the Buggles. I'm like, oh my God, yeah. really? That was yeah. I thought it was so cool. Yeah. The um the cool thing about um of course the I mean the band kind of they made good on their second album, Liverpool. They all played their own instruments. I mean they they could always play their own instruments. So mm-hmm. when people say, Oh, that you know, it's like a Millie Vanilli thing, no, it's not. No. So but, uh, I mean, Trevor Horn was one of those perfectionists who wanted it to sound a certain way, you yeah. know? And so he had it done himself. And he, and he got it got it done the only way he could, yeah. Relax, don't do it when you want to go to it. Relax, don't do it when you want to go. Relax, don't do it when you want to suck it to it. Relax, don't do it when you want to I don't know if you saw this, but Gary Newman said that Relax was so good. That song was so good that made him depressed. (laughs) (laughs) Which, you know, it's Gary Newman. He's probably depressed. Well, I was going to say, so it's just like status quo there. Mm -hmm. He didn't want to kill himself any more than he already did. Yeah. So so here's the legendary Relax story that I have. Um, I I probably told this on a podcast before, but it's probably been a long time. Back in high school uh, in Clearwater, Florida at Countryside, we used to have a big thing that, that that popped up our last two years there called lip sync. I don't. Do you guys have lip sync competitions? No, but you've you've told us a bit. You guys did a lip sync. Yeah. We did a lip sync. So, yeah. so it would be a huge production, and they would it would be like they would sell out the auditorium. You know, like everybody in the school would be there. It would be a nighttime performance. They had you know. Uh, How small was your town? No, 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 no. It was <laughs> no. I'm going to live in a small two, town. Two thousand. Just kidding. Two thousand people. Like my this. high school. 
2004. Oh my God. See, I can't talk. There was only, there was only 400 people in yeah. my high school. So everybody's there. Keep in mind too that every school in the county did this. In fact, there was one yeah. company that basically went around producing them. And so well, they had like concert yeah. lighting and they had uh, dry ice and they had the whole nine yards. So if you, you basically went out there, they had a drum set. You took your instruments out there. I mean, it pumped out the music like it's a concert. And well, you went well, out there well. and you did your song. And so people did, uh, you know, I remember a, a group of friends did Van Halen. Uh, there was a group that did, you know, uh, U2 and all this kind of stuff. And the first year that we did it, my, me and my friends, we did the Blues Brothers, Soul Man. And nice. I think we came in, I think we came in third. Um, you had the suits, right? I mean, you just, you dressed yeah, yeah, up yeah. and everything. Yeah, right? and then we had in the whole backing band. I'm surprised we, we didn't do better. But um, so our senior year comes and we really want to, to blow people away. And we decided we're going to do Frankie Goes to Hollywood because we're kind of obsessed with them. They're, they're peaking just about the right time because this would have been our, our uh, spring semester of our senior year. So we're trying to figure out what song. And I'm like, oh, come on. Let's, we've got to do Two Tribes because Relax is going to be – it's going to be over with by the time we do this thing. People are going to be tired of hearing it. We're going to get booed. So, so for the first like three or four weeks, we practiced Two Tribes. <laughs> It's it's just not coming across. It just looks awkward. It looks stupid. And finally, we kind of realized that that relax is still kind of at the top of the charts. So we we changed it the last minute. We you had to you actually had to audition for this. So we had to go in front of uh, the newspaper staff sponsored it. So we had to go in front of the whole like little newspaper advisory board. We we practiced the song like twice, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> So you're all set. You're yeah, it's go. like high school. Yeah, yeah. So and so right. we, we do it. Why, why, we, that's two times more than you And it's either. awful. <laughs> it's awful. We completely botch it. But all of our friends sit on the council. So we, the only the only concern they had that the one newspaper advisor, the teacher said, "You're not going to emphasize the word come, are you?" <laughs> <laughs> like no, of course no, not. No, why would no, we do why, that? Why, why that? Yes, <laughs> we're, we're but we're all gentlemen. So they they let us in, and we're the last act to go up there. And everyone's rooting for you too, because they they had done like all the previous lip syncs, and they had saved Sunday Bloody Sunday for last. That was going to be their opus, you know. That's going to be their their thesis, man. So they had the white flag and everything, and the whole crowd's going apeshit crazy, you know. Oh, you two's going to win, but we come in like two two spots after them, and we have redecorated the stage completely. We have gigantic Frankie banners that are hanging down behind us. Did we they say the, relax? It's got all the crazy imagery from the album on it. Yeah. Like these little okay. stick figures holding these banners. And the whole school we covered with uh, banners that said all the gibberish from the middle of the album. I mean, it was all like this humongous propaganda effort. So everyone <laughs> wanted to know what the hell is going to happen. And we told the guy running the, uh, the dry ice machine, we're like, run it till, run it, till it runs out. So they introduce us and, and the, the curtains come open and this like whoosh, this cloud of of dry ice sweeps over the crowd, you know, you know, and the and the opening refrains of relaxed start and everyone just starts going crazy and the thump, 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 and the, the lights start pulsing and stuff like that. And immediately on stage, I was playing the bass player, but uh my mouth goes completely dry because I'm like, this I've never been in front of this many people doing something like this and having everyone go nuts crazy. So we make it through the song, and of course we don't de-emphasize the word "come." I mean, the lead singer goes right to the front of the stage. He's like, "Come, rah!" You know, <laughs> the crowd's just like, "Ah!" You know, and and so so it ends. You know, we go off stage. We think we did a fairly good job. You know, and um, 
they bring all the three finalists out on the stage, and in third place is some, you know, who I don't even remember. Bananarama. Losers. Yeah, losers. The so they, second losers. So they name so they go in second place is, and I'm like, here it comes. We're going to be second place. And they say, second place, you too, with Sunday Bloody Sunday. And suddenly we, we realize we fucking won. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you too realizes they fucking lost. <laughs> wow. And so the crowd's just like, huh? Huh? I mean, at one who point, voted though? I mean, who 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 were the they judges? Had a, they had a judging panel that was like um, people who worked at record stores and uh, tape, you know, record and tape outlet. Oh my god, stuff like that. So people who kind of like, judge's name, no, Nina <laughs> Vivanetto. <laughs> Wouldn't surprise. <laughs> but literally, some people who kind of knew music, you know. And so they decided when they announced us, it was kind of like a half explosion, half booing of the crowd. But we didn't care. I mean, we were just kind of like, holy crap. So uh, it was. It was Take for the, the long. Yeah, and as a result of winning, you got to go on tour and open up lip sync competitions at other high schools around Tampa Bay. So we went to like Pinellas Park High School or Clearwater High School and a couple of middle schools, and we performed our little shtick in front of the crowd, and it was fun. That's cool. That's it was very like, cool. That was like our claim to fame. You know, I remember graduating high school thinking, if nothing else, I had Frankie Goes to Hollywood lip sync. I, you know, I, I'm trying to think of Brett. What song? If you had that at your high school, can you think of what song you would have done? Oh gosh, in '84. I know. I'm trying to think. Was "In the Air Tonight" by Phil Collins? Was that already out? Um. Yeah, I think so. I have a feeling that might have been something I did because it requires less people. <laughs> yeah, but the whole the whole key of winning is to make a spectacle of it. Yeah, so I'm yeah, trying to think. Yeah, when that drum kick in, though, that becomes the spectacle. Probably would have been something. I mean, it probably would have been something off of like friend or foe. Like all my friends. Yeah, really Adam Ann would have been yeah. a good pick. That would have been a great pick because you know the makeup and everything. Um, I mean, Van Halen Panama was a good one because everyone knew how the video went. Yeah, yeah. Um, Blues Brothers was great because you know we're doing the whole dancing bit. Yeah, because again, you've got a you've got some frame of reference for it. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, those are all good picks, but I mean, you couldn't, you know. You had Lightning in a bottle, my friend. Yeah. Lightning in a bottle. <laughs> I caught it twice in my life. I caught it with Frankie used to Hollywood. And I caught it with Stuck in the Eighties. You know, you know what else I'd like to catch it with? The Seggies. Ah, the magical refrain that is reader mailbag, and I feel like we there's more to say about uh, Frankie used to Hollywood, is there not? Well, when we were researching this, I thought you know this has to be one of the albums that that started the PM. RC, the Tipper Gore group that was putting labels on everything. And I found that there were 15 albums that they listed, and this wasn't one of them. I was really? shocked by that. Yeah. Purple Rain was one. Well, Prince's Darling Nikki yeah. was the number one album that they, they listed. And then Sheena Easton Sugar Walls. Was that, that wasn't written by Prince, was it? <laughs> yeah. I think so. It yeah. was. I think Prince, it was. Prince, it's pretty much the Prince Music Resource Center. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's some ACDC on there. Let me put my love into you. Uh, Cindy Lauper, Shebop. Yeah, Def Leppard. The, the uh, thing that I really – that always I always remember about this is John Denver being critical yeah. of it. And I'm like, wow, if John Denver's against you, <laughs> you're pretty much a horrible person. Yeah. Yeah, but I was so I was surprised when they listed their what they called their Filthy 15 that this wasn't on there. Yeah. I think they kind of missed something. Yeah, definitely. Frank is Hollywood still kind of out there and kicking. Holly Johnson, who's the lead singer, he has a new solo album coming out called Europa. It's due out in September, and it's his first album in 15 years. And I believe he's doing a um, a UK tour in October. And I've always kind of said I would love to find an excuse to go over to uh, 
to England for a, a concert, but I, I don't know if it's Holly Johnson. But wasn't he supposed to be on the first Regeneration tour and then he pulled out? Yeah, he was on one of the tours. Because uh, <laughs> I have a just very distinct memory of of someone dressed up as Holly Johnson at the concert. <laughs> we were there, and I'm like, well, "You're doubly sad now because your guy's not here." <laughs> I'd still love that if we have him on the show. I'd love to get him on the show because there's about a million questions I have to ask. Him, oh yeah, so. uh, you've got to, he would be a really interesting guy to talk to. Do you remember back in 2003? Do you guys remember watching the VH1 Bands Reunited? That that TV series they had. I remember they, the series that they do. A Frankie goes to Hollywood. It was show. the last one of the first season, and they they got they brought them all together and they all talked and blah blah blah. They revisited ancient history and everything and talked about it. And then the night of the sh- the reunion show came and like basically uh, Holly Johnson and uh, you know one of the other guys kind of bailed out, saying you know too short of notice to actually do the kind of job we want to do. So mm. interesting. Oh, that was the excuse they gave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, whatever. So uh, reader ball gag time. Uh, we have a. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Frank goes to Hollywood. Relax. Uh, <laughs> uh, we have a message from Dave Dirt, who uh, sent us this letter, settling a question we had in our Ghostbusters podcast about why the cartoon is called the real Ghostbusters. Brad, take it away. Okay. <clears throat> so Dave writes, "Hey guys." The cartoon was called The Real Ghostbusters because there was another cartoon which started just one week before The Real Ghostbusters, titled simply Ghostbusters, later to be known as Filmation's Ghostbusters. You, you keeping up with all this Ghostbusters crap? Is this back to projector <laughs> talk again? Yeah, it's almost. Almost. <laughs> you're going to do that. I'm, I'm going to go make another drink while you're... While you're well, you know, I'll, I'll get through this. Okay, so according to IMDb, the show is known as Filmation's Ghostbusters and the original Ghostbusters because when Columbia Pictures released Ghostbusters, it neglected the fact that Filmation had already produced a live-action comedy series with that same name in 1975. Filmation sued Columbia in 1985. As part of the out-of-court settlement, the cartoon based on the Columbia Pictures property could not simply be called Ghostbusters. Columbia proceeded to name their cartoon show The Real Ghostbusters to directly distinguish it from this show. And kind of put their thumb on them a little bit, don't you think? Yeah, the I real think was, they should have just called it Ghost Smashers. Uh, Ghost Smashers would have been so much better. Yeah. So, by the way, on Dave continues, on two separate occasions of the past year, I've seen... One, an old station wagon ambulance hearse done up like the Ectomobile. And two, some dude walking around the loop here in St. Louis just dressed in a full Ghostbusters outfit. This was a few months ago, too. It's not even anything to do with the anniversary date. I'm so looking forward to a Fletch podcast. I've been wondering since I discovered you why there hasn't been one. It's because we suck, Dave. You figured that out. (laughs) Holy cats. If there's one 80s movie I quote from all the time, it's Fletch. That movie and his stuff in Caddyshack are absolute comedy gold. Okay, that's enough for now. Dave Dirt. I'll say if I had a Ghostbusters costume with the Proton Pack and everything, I'd wear it every chance I got. Yeah, you'd be like Proton Pack Thursday. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> There'd be no reason to not wear it. Is Brad done reading it yet? I just got back with my drink. Oh, you are such a bastard. Yes, uh, I am, sir. I'd be mowing the lawn in that outfit. You know, whatever. Tasty. You'd be mowing the lawn with the outfit. Yeah, that's what I mean. I'd be just like... Cross the streams, bitches. <laughs> oh, I go just... <laughs> um, as always, you can send your emails to sit80s at gmail.com. Please, please tell me now. Please, please tell me now. Ah, PPTMN. Please, please tell me now. We haven't done this one in a while. Please, please tell me now. What voice was that? Yeah. I thought that was you, Drew. No. 
I don't know if I can get that low. Oh God. Creepy. I'm not going to do it either. I'm not, yeah. That freaked me out. Here we go. So, uh, as always, we are happy to answer your questions that you send us. Pinhead has one for us. It says, okay, Steve, Brad, and the rest of the cast of co-hosts. Woohoo, that's me. I have a question. Summer is now upon us when it's sunny and nice outside and you're driving around. What are three artists from the 80s that you automatically play and associate with nice sunny days? Mine are the Go-Go's, the B-52's, and of course, Boingo Boingo. Okay. (laughs) Thanks for everything you do for 80s Nation and keep up the good work, Pinhead. Okay, so let's each pick one. Let's make it easy. Uh, who's going to go first? I'll go first. Yeah. I'd, I'd say a group that I automatically listen to is not necessarily one album, but it's probably the police, you know, kind of a compilation thing. If I'm going to listen to a group, I'm going to, or you know, a group of songs, it's going to be from those guys. It's tougher now because of the iPod, you know, you just kind of put it on eighties mix let and shuffle. let it go. Yeah. And Brad so, knows I gave him a disc or I gave him a, a drive with like 500. Yeah. Eighties. That's all great it. stuff, but you're right. In the last couple of months, I've been kind of making myself listen to albums. Like, no, listen to the whole oh, yeah. thing. Just put the album on. Huh. Yeah. So, so summer makes you think of three pasty white Englishmen. Sure. Why not? Okay. Do, 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 da, 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 da. Yeah. Head to the beach. Sounds good. <laughs> okay. Uh, the police just make me think of empty bags of rum. Uh, nothing sadder than an empty bag of rum yeah tell me about it except maybe a full bag of rum <laughs> except for maybe a girl puking in your dorm room afterwards but uh, well, anyway. that could happen anytime it's neither here nor there rum yeah. uh, that's not rum. the police's fault yeah sting's fault uh brad i got a couple um and one of them is not an 80s act but bear with me so one of the songs that are one of the albums that i automatically think of that I listen to in the summer and that automatically takes me back to the 80s is uh, the Beach Boys' Endless Summer. That's like, what, 60s or early 70s release? So I don't know if this is true everywhere else, but in western Oklahoma in the early 80s, there was this kind of strong, like, OP chord shorts. Do you remember oh, that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Ocean yeah, Pacific yeah. t-shirts. Sure, and that, yeah. That, the two-tone shorts? Became, yeah, that was just huge in western Oklahoma, and we were all wearing our OP cord shirts and wearing our OP shirts and like listening to the Beach Boys and ma- imagining that we lived someplace where there was a beach, which, of course, we didn't. And it was almost like this kind of cult, you know, of Californiaism. I don't even know how to describe it, but all my friends were into the Beach Boys. <laughs> it's just kind of weird when I think about it now. Well, so when I hear go, that though? stuff... I mean, so you dress up in your bathing suit. You know, for the most part, in Florida, we had those things. They were like... The, our, our swim trunks were OP and stuff like that, but we'd go yeah. to the beach. Well, in, in Oklahoma, we would go to the community pool. We had the city had a swimming pool that would, they ran. Didn't have like lakes or something you went to or something. There were lakes, but you know you needed a car to get out there, and you know you could ride your bike to the to the city pool, and that's where we went. You know that's where we hung out. That's where everybody was. Right. See, we actually would, you know, Southern California. We'd head down to Zuma Beach, and if you wanted to be cool and you wanted to be seen, you would go between lifeguard stations six and seven. Yeah, that's where you hung out. And we'd be there, God, two, three times a week. We were always there. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. So I lived it, Brad. Yeah. Well, when, when I, yeah. Well, when I moved to California the summer after I graduated from high school, you know, I was down with my friends down at Newport Beach all the time. And it's like lifeguard station 16. That's where we'll meet. You know, it's just, mm-hmm. that's, that's where we always went. And that would be my other song is the Cars uh, single from. Their, their new single from the Greatest Hits uh, collection that was out that summer, uh, Tonight She Comes. Oh, yeah. That song just reminds me of sitting in traffic on the 55. Yeah. The cars, the cars are great. <laughs> to me, the cars are a really good one. Um, my summer memories go – this is going to be a, a, a out of the left field for you a little bit. 
Um, the album Allied Forces from the Canadian band Triumph. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. song in there called Magic Power. In the early 80s, in the summer, I would basically make as much money as I could on the side mowing lawns. And the guy that I used to, to, to team up with to do it a lot, he was a huge Triumph fan. And so, uh, you know, between lawns or during when it's raining and you couldn't do anything, we'd go back to his place and we would uh, blast Triumph, Allied Forces. And uh, huh. it was the song Magic Power over and over again, you know. I'm young, I'm wild, and I'm free. It was like kind of like the anthem, you know, like 1982, 1983. So. Sure. Um, I, I, uh, I would love to have seen them in concert, but I never got a chance. Has anyone seen them in concert? Dude, I, I was not a big metal fan, so they're not really metal. They're they're like no, Canadian, Canadian Prague, but they, they played the US Festival. But you, you probably weren't there that day. I wasn't there that day. No, interesting. Yeah, just crush my summer dreams, why don't you? Oh. <laughs> um, as always, um, we welcome your PPTMNs. You can ask us anything about the '80s or anything about our personal lives. Um, uh, just remember to put PPTMN in the subject line. We'll be right back after this commercial break. The zinger zapper is someone in this room. <gasps> to find the culprit, I'll put zingers on this plate. <coughs> Devil's food with luscious chocolate icing, gold cake with dreamy vanilla, raspberry with coconut, and all with cream sinners. I'm going to turn the light out and catch them red-handed. Okay, now we know who the zinger zapper is. The butler? You blockhead. When you have zingers around, there's no escaping the zinger zapper. <laughs> Your father's friend. So you help me move. That's it. You couldn't call. See if maybe I don't like the new place. See if maybe there's some painting to be done. And we're back. And uh, who doesn't get chills up their spine when you hear the theme song to the Rockford Files? Nobody. That's one of the Technically not an 80s show. It did actually end in 1980. But, yeah, uh, but it was on in syndication. Right. I mean, it, that's the kind of stuff that we all watched when we got home from school. Right. right? Because it's, it was on. it's actually Netflix streaming. Is it? Yep. Oh, nice. I'll be interested to see how it holds up. The sad news is today we just learned that James Garner passed away at age uh, 86 in Los Angeles. He, wasn't, he didn't have a lot of roles in the 80s, but yet he had a lot of influence on the 80s. I think every one of us has sort of a memory of some piece of work that he did. At that age, you know, I think probably the the highest profile thing he did has got to have been Murphy's Romance. I loved Murphy's that's, Romance. It's a great movie. He was nominated for an Oscar for that role. He was. Um, yeah, and it's it's a movie that 1985. A lot of us probably. I mean, there's no reason we would have been watching that movie at that age. It's probably it's really not in our wheelhouse, and not yet, at all. and yet we did. Well, well, I think it was because of the, I mean, the, the distinct charm of James Garner in that movie. He's playing an older man who's kind of got a friendship that's blossoming with a, a younger woman, Sally Field, and there's just this. He's just such a likable character in that movie, and of course, there's that great scene where James Garner, Sally Field's kind of, I guess, the father of her son, but they're kind of separated or divorced. And they're all standing in front of a mirror and he's talking about how you wear your cowboy hat. <laughs> yeah. And he says, you know, if you tilt it forward, you're angling for a fight. If you pull it back, you're looking for a good time. And if you put it to the side, you're looking for a woman. 
and they all just kind of stand there and then they all adjust their hats accordingly. <laughs> it's just a great moment in film. And, yeah. and, uh, you know, it's, it's what made that movie so great. And it's James Garner. He just yeah. made it so wonderful. And, you know, that, that kind of quality comes across in so many of his roles that I refuse to believe anything other than that that was what he was like. That he just was a level headed, likable, you know, kind of calm guy. Yeah. With a jaw of granite. Exactly. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I would have given, given anything to look like James Garner. God. Did, did anybody see, uh, besides me, I have The Great Escape on DVD. So I know, uh, you know, Garner plays Henley, the scrounger in that 1963 movie, which is based on a real escape. Yeah. In during World War II. He's fantastic. I mean, there's nothing he's in that's not watchable. Even Space Cowboys in 2000. Oh, God, I forgot about Space Cowboys. (laughs) I kind of liked Space Cowboys. I like that. I'll still watch it. You know, he's great. I don't know if you ever saw, there was an HBO movie um, back in 1993 called Barbarians at the Gate. Yeah, I remember. Oh, that. oh my! The story of the RGR Nabisco takeover. He's fantastic in that, and that, to me, in, in my mind, that might be the best work he ever. That and Murphy's Romance, the two best things he ever did. I thought he was pretty good in Maverick. Oh yeah, Maverick. Yeah, yeah. yeah. See, I mean, this. But he's this. kind of I mean, playing. He's kind of playing himself about. in that, and that's fine. It works. Yeah, I wish I could play myself in a movie and be lovable. Anyway, Steve just got Steve just got twenty seven emails. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so anyway, we have, we have a few minutes left. Um, obviously, this is the like I said before, this is the first time we've covered top albums or our favorite albums from nineteen eighty four. What other albums? Um, I'm going to throw it out to you. Um, would you guys like to cover before the year is up? Well, I'll tell you right now. I want to cover In Excess is the Swing for sure. Okay. Love that album. Interesting. There's a couple that I picked that I saw that you picked, like Depeche Mode, Some Great Reward. Yeah, good one. But I would have to say, I mean, if we're going to talk about albums that had some influence on us, and, and Brad, don't laugh, but uh, Major Moves by Hank Williams Jr. Huh. I remember you you brought yeah. Hank yeah, Williams you said Jr. Were big. before, that that was big I, in your... That was big in my high school, was Hank Williams Jr. I don't Jr. get that. Brad's in western Oklahoma. <laughs> I know. <laughs> You're in, you're out well, in Southern California. In, you're in, in August Egypt. of 1984, I moved to California. So okay, I'm just saying. I, I yeah. dare I dare say if you like if you profess any love for Hank Williams Jr. in my high school, you would have gotten your ass kicked. <laughs> uh, you were if you were one of the cool guys, you listened to Hank Williams Jr. in my high school. That's, that's, so I tried. It's crazy. I, mean, you know, I wanted to be cool, so I listened. But yeah, I can. So I probably have to pick that album. I can tell you what the cool guys in my high school were listening to in 1984. U2's Unforgettable Fire. And there's this infamous story where like there's like three or four guys in our school that in my senior class that were like, you know, they were very popular and for a good reason. They were nice guys. They were friendly guys. They were smart guys. I have no qualms with them being the most popular four guys. But the day that Unforgettable Fire came out, they decided to skip school, get the album, and then go lay out in the sun and listen to it. But they decided to do it naked. Covering their private, Dude, covering their no. private, covering their private parts with a sock, and then forgetting to put on suntan lotion. <laughs> the seventeen-year-old is the world's smartest creature. So they uh, they consequently got sunburned everywhere except for their most sensitive areas, and they were walking around the next day like they were the Tin Man. But uh, <laughs> uh, I, I think I reminded them about that, or at least one of one of them that I bumped into at our at our twenty year reunion. So that's funny. If, how do you pre- 
do you broach that? You know, yeah. hey, remember oh, the cocksock you was, had? There was some, <laughs> our, our high school was notorious for like if you did something stupid, no matter how you know sensitive, people were going to talk about it. You know, and it was just kind of like okay. especially twenty years later. I mean, you got like we did what, what are they going to do? We yeah, just, what are you going to do? They're we just totally say, yeah, I don't want to talk about it. We just kind of yeah, said, you know, you're an idiot. But it was kind of funny. It was you know. Um, if I could throw one, and I'm going to cover it later on this year. Uh, I'm going to cover the replacements. Let it be. Oh, that's a good Ooh. choice. So, um, I would also throw uh, Thompson Twins into the gap into the mix. Oh yeah, oh, nice. one excellent. That's good. Anyway, this has been fun. Uh, Drew, as always, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm not sure I buy the Hank Williams Jr. thing, but I'm going to try. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a weird dude. Yeah. And I got some weird music tastes. So we keep having you back. Yeah. And in the meantime, Stuck in the 80s Nation, if you have albums that you want us to cover, email us. Again, sitas at gmail.com. We will uh, add yours to the list and we'll like debate it and see if one of us can step forward and defend it. But in the meantime, Brad, Hank Williams Jr., and myself, <laughs> along with Jester, we remain here, hopelessly, stuck in the 80s. Stuck in the 80s is a class of 85 production. Please listen responsibly. Did I just say the same thing twice? Um, I think you might have just talked out of both sides of your mouth, but...